Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Woo, 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 woo. Woo, episode 81 this week. And I tell you what, Jim, there's been so many goals in the Prem this weekend. A lot of scored draws and we are going to get right into them right now with Tottenham Hotspur. The game was already won. It It was won within the first 25 minutes or so it seemed. Yeah, well, you'd like to you'd like to think so after that start. Uh, I might say so many goals. Still yet to have a goalless draw. Thought um, maybe we'd have one, but Ross Barkley ended all the, the hopes of a goalless draw. But anyway, back to Spurs. Um, how very Spursy, eh? Um, it, it, it's typical that we have the talk of the title challenge of Spurs and how far they can go. Redknapp on Sky Sports. Harry, that is. Redknapp Senior, as I like to call him saying that Spurs can win this title. And it is a good squad. And um, I think the competition at the top is a bit weaker this year. But as soon as you put a bit of pressure on them, saying that that they're a team now that can actually compete, they just crumble. Because he started the game so well. Kane and Son together, they're just... They started this year like a house on fire. What do you make of them two? Superb. I mean, they they had a little bit of a link-up. Obviously, he's been there for, I think this might be his third season now at Tottenham, Son. But there was a bet on Skybet that Dunny, a friend of the pod, actually informed me of. It was 66-1 to for Son to assist Kane and Kane to assist Son. And it came in inside eight minutes. So uh, You'd have been quids in. You'd have been definitely quids in. And I know for a fact that Bryn was. So, well done, Bryn, for getting on that. Well done. And happy birthday. And happy birthday. And happy yeah, birthday, birthday Jim. Wish. Jim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kane and Son, yeah, they combined really quickly this game. They've combined on eight occasions this season already. We're only, what, four or five games in? Five games for Spurs, I believe. Um, they are fourth on the all-time joint record scorers, as in, like, goals and assists, uh, combined goals. Um, I think Teddy Sheringham and... Another Spurs player that has escaped my memory have a record, a club record of nine. So them two already having eight, five games in, they're smashing it. Um, I think who it could have been for Spurs. I think, it's Darren Ander- I think it's Darren Anderton. I think ah. I think it's Anderton. Um, nice. But the, the, yeah, the, the way they're going, they're looking at breaking um, Lampard and Dropper's record, which is currently um, much higher than everybody else. I just think Kane's... A- Phenomenal player. Somebody, I've seen a tweet um, saying that Harry Kane is England's best number nine and England's best number ten, and I'd agree with it. That pass for the first goal, he's he's like a quarterback. Yeah, I did see your uh, Patrick Mahone tweet yesterday, and as soon as well, I, I did see that. Obviously, I, I saw the goal looking back, and he does do that a lot this year. I don't know if he does it out of being tired or whatever. Because do you remember him doing it a lot in the World Cup for England? But again, I, I put that down to tiredness. But he, he's almost perfected the art of almost dropping in between the centre mids, almost in a, a register kind of position, and then looking for Sonny over the top. But I've seen a tweet that Kane's up there with the best passes in world football, and I've got to agree going off what I've seen so far this season. And to, uh, to be honest with you, Kane is a good passer. It is underrated, I suppose. Yeah, when, when Kane's in this form, he's the best striker in the world. He just is. He, is there a weakness to his game? Um, maybe he's not the quickest, but... Like you say, he's so versatile in what he does. He can be that main man and just finish. He can be a pure bagsman because that's what he was. He started off being. But now he's almost like a playmaker too, secondary. Um, he's good defending on corners when he gets back. He's good at pressing. 
And when you touched on him at England, uh, he did a lot of hold-up play with no one around him. And what, I remember him winning so many free kicks in that World Cup when our backs were against the wall. He was unbelievable. He's just he is an unbelievable player, and so is Son. Um, I've seen that Kane is actually ten to one to get the Player of the Year, and the way he started, that's, that them odds will only go down. Harry Kane's worst enemy is definitely fitness because we can talk about how good he is. He, he is the the complete forward. And like you said, he is the best striker in the world on current form. But injury is his biggest enemy. And hopefully he can stay fit because 10 to 1, it is looking like a, a decent bet for player of the year, especially with someone who is world-class as he is. But where Tottenham are great going forward with eight minutes to go, Balbuena scores. It looks bleak, but they're giving him a scare. They did the year before. They were 3-0 at Tottenham at home. West Ham scored two very late. And it was almost deja vu when Davinson Sanchez put it in his own net for 3-2. And then literally with the last kick of the game, Jim, Manuel Lanzini. I remember messaging you going, please tell me you have seen what's just happened there. <laughs> and you were like, no, what, what, what? And I was like, just watch the highlights. Yeah, I've seen it now. What, what a goal. I was kind of I was watching that. I knew the goal was coming. I was watching like, where's Lanzini? And he was like about four yards out. And I was thinking... How does he score here then? But yeah, just unbelievable that. I think that's the first ever time in Premier League history a team's been 3-0 down with 10 minutes left and got a, got a point out of it. And even Bale had a chance near the end, didn't he? Um, Should have won spoke, it. We've not even spoke about Bale coming on. I know. Bale yeah. comes on at 3-0 and you think that is a perfect way to introduce him. So slowly, easily, the counter into a win. Um, yeah, that's just the Barclays. That is just yeah. the Barclays for you. West Ham getting like, another fine result. Unbelievable from the Hammers. I mean, Moise's first game back on the touchline, obviously he had coronavirus, but excluding the League Cup defeat to Everton, they'd, they'd, beaten, they'd beaten Wolves, who we did say they would probably lose against. They'd beaten Leicester convincingly away, and they've come from 3-0 down away at Tottenham in the final eight minutes to get, to get a point. That is seven big points for West Ham that, we definitely didn't have them down for because we said they could potentially go 0-7 given the fixtures they've started with. So credit to them. As as wasteful Tottenham were at 3-0 up, credit to West Ham. Yeah, West Ham have been really resilient. I think we was, we've obviously got it wrong, haven't we, with um, how West Ham would start the season. But I mean, I don't think you can judge us too actually. I mean, the way West Ham ended the season, it was kind of hot, but then towards right at the end, they slowed down and they, they didn't strengthen in the summer. Um, you couldn't land a centre back, and then they have this horrendous fixture start. And yeah, to get seven from nine from the last three games, um, maybe they've seen the fixtures and Moyes has kind of gone. Maybe it's maybe it's good from that they're getting these fixtures out of the way now, and they'll have to continue to play backs against the wall because the next two fixtures are City and Liverpool. It doesn't get any easier for for the Hammers, but I mean they've already took the seven from nine, so I think whatever happens in the next two games, they can be happy with how they start the season. Yeah, definitely. David Moyes should be, and he probably is saying to his players, listen, we're not really fancied for this. We've Everyone knows West Ham aren't flush with cash at the moment, but Declan Rice was potentially out the door. They've picked up some points, definitely with the back against the wall. They managed to make a deadline day signing, well, a second deadline day signing from the championship in Saeed Benrahma from Brentford, who I think is going to be a great signing for West Ham because the guy oozes class. Same adult to rap championship vibes playing for QPR. Serious player, serious skill. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. But they've kept Rice for now. Jared Bowen, we said last week, is coming to his own. And it looks good for West Ham. 
yeah, it looks very good. And um, yeah, um, it was freeze all around um, on the weekend. There was another free free result. Um, I mean, if you was um, a Sky customer, you still wouldn't be able to watch this game. Obviously, it was the first box office game of the season. Um, was the game box office, Cook? Would you say? Chelsea free, Southampton free. That being, I don't know if I even mentioned that one. <laughs> yeah, I'd say my experience of it wasn't box office because I definitely didn't pay the fourteen ninety five. So Sky and BT, go and fuck yourselves. It was three all. The game itself was box office. Chelsea went two 0 up. First two goals from Timo Werner, great goals as well. First one, he lets it run through his legs on the halfway line, leaving the centre back for dust. Takes on a couple of players in the box and finds the bottom corner. Second goal, Jorginho potentially passed to the weekend over the top. Werner flicks it over the goalkeeper with two centre-backs on the line. He still heads it in. But as Chelsea have been associated with at this moment in time, they can't keep a clean sheet for the sake of it. Danny Ings, who, given a chance, is going to bite your hand off at this moment in time. The form he's in, scores just before half-time. And it, Chelsea don't recover, to be honest with you. They end up drawing three all, conceding with the last kick of the game. And it just seems more of the same, to be honest with you, lads. Yeah, um, Stan, I'm going to bring you in here. You've just, you've just yeah, joined I'm us in episode right, 81. Um, flight was late, so yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, it's, you're fashionably late. It's all right. That's the kind of guy you are. Early but, on your um, time, aren't you, Stan? <laughs> what would you say um, Lampard has to do to stop Chelsea leaking so many goals? Because, like Cook said, they can't keep a clean sheet. And you won't win titles um, defending like that. No, 100% not. Um, hello, everybody, by the way. But, yeah, no, just answering your question about the defence, I think, I mean, a lot of people at the time kind of looked at Chelsea's transfer business in the summer and uh, it was kind of a bit of a bird with no arse and massive tips getting a tit enlargement. Um, they already had a lot up front. They added ZH, uh, Havertz, obviously Werner. Uh, when they, they let Willian go, but they've, they've obviously got Pulisic, they've got Giroud, Tammy Abraham. Did really well last season. Mason Mount can play in those forward positions. Uh, and yeah, they didn't add too much defensively uh, and nothing at all in defensive midfield-wise, uh, where I do think they are a little bit flimsy. Kante isn't himself for the last um, for the last however long. But yeah, I think so. I think, um, so yeah, I think um, Lampard's got to be questioned transfer-wise. I don't know how much of a say he has on transfers. Um, yeah, it just... Chelsea conceded, I think Cook will uh, confirm or, or correct, I'm sure, that I think it's the most, they conceded the most last season than they ever have in, in, in the Premier League history, goals-wise. Joint, um, joint record. Is it the for joint the, record? For the club, yeah. So they've never, yeah, so it's, it, it's not a good thing when you're going in the summer for me. I mean, I know everybody was ranting and raving about you know, how well Chelsea were doing in terms of getting players in, which you know, was good. Um, but I think there will be question marks of the players that they brought in, to be honest. Not necessarily individually, but you know, in terms of the positions that they brought in. Obviously, they brought in Chilwell, who I do think is a good player, but at centre-back, they brought in a 36-year-old Thiago Silva, who even if he smashes it this season, is not going to be there very long. And uh, Malang Sarr, on a free, and it didn't seem like anybody else was really in for him. So how good he is, I don't know. But yeah, same old problems for, for Chelsea. And again, with Kepper, it's the definition of insanity to put him in. I know I've seen a lot of people going, oh, well, Kepper causing Chelsea, you know, mistakes again. You know, I feel for him. Well, don't fucking put him in net. We know how he is. You've just brought a goalkeeper to replace um, to replace him. You know, he cost you 72 million. If you're buying a keeper to replace 
you know, the record goalkeeper of all time. You obviously don't trust him. So why, you know, Willie Caballero was sat on the bench there. He's never let you down. So what, to put Kepper in net and then, you know, to see, you know, a bit of sympathy for Kepper being in net and costing them the game, I just, I'm, I just don't understand that. Yeah, um, Chelsea, Chelsea described as a bird with big tits and no ass. They're a bit top heavy. Would you say that's fur cook? And would you say... What would you say the problem is the other thing you need the support bra and um, Kefra isn't giving them that? Um, is it something that Lampard needs to change or are the players just letting him down? To be honest with you, without sounding like I'm backtracking, because I'm not, we have only played five games. And the first time at the weekend, at one point we had Pulisic, Werner through the middle, Havertz in behind and Ziyech on the right. And it was only for about 20 minutes in total. But that is the sign of where the team's going, like Stan said. Very top-heavy, it would seem. Obviously, Ben Chilwell, I think, is a great signing. One of the best fullbacks, if not... Well, he's definitely England's best fullback. And the Thiago Silva thing, I think the signings this season were... Obviously, it's no secret. We had a lot of money to spend during the summer. And a lot of teams didn't. And that was the worst-kept secret in football. So I think Chelsea have seized an opportunity to get high-name players like Stan's, the aforementioned, Werner, Ziyech, Havertz, because next year all the big boys can come in. And if we leave it an extra year, we're competing with Real Madrid, Man United, Barcelona. And realistically, we're not as big of a draw as the last two. And if we have to compete with them, we're not going to get these type of players. So we've got in the, you could say, the superstar signings this year complied with FFP, obviously selling our best player the summer before. And then I think next summer, priority will be a CDM. Declan Rice is the name floated about. I'd very much welcome it because I think he is a good young player. Thiago mm. Silva is a bit of a placeholder. And I think next summer, you'll see a CDM and a centre-back. I just think this year, it was very opportunistic from Chelsea to sign the players they have. And I think it was an opportunity they couldn't pass up for some players. Yeah, maybe. I mean, in that case, I'd ask how much of a say Lampard has over transfers because if that was me as a manager and my club was just buying me all these attacking players when but Lampard's been in football, whatever you think of him as a manager, he's not looking at that Chelsea team thinking they're defensively sound because nobody is. Oh, no. Uh, I'm looking at that thinking, I'm going to fucking minute. All right, you might want Averts because, you know, nobody else can get him at this moment, but go and get me, you know, X, X and Y instead of, you know... Ziyech and Havertz because if I'm Lampard I'm thinking okay Chelsea as a club maybe they've got a plan for what's happening this summer but if they spend 300 million on whoever it doesn't matter who they bought Abramovich has spent 300 million I might not even be here fucking next summer so I want a centre-back now I don't it, mm. it doesn't matter to me whether Havertz and Werner coming now because you know I I, I mean looking I've, I've got it up here I mean at back five <sighs> Started off with Aspilicueta, but I do like him and he's been a good servant. But how much longer he has in those legs, I'm not sure. I know Rhys James is, is is in the wings waiting, but just going off what started. Aspilicueta, I mean, probably best on the right side of a back three, I'd say, from whenever I've seen him. Uh, Andreas Christensen, not a lot. They're really pretty flimsy, almost um, Lindelof's Danish uh, twin brother. Uh, and Kurt Zumer, who I... You're not going to win the league with with you know three of that, and then obviously Kepper in that four of that back five for me is you know you could bin it. Literally, you could change all four of them out mm. for for whoever pretty much. And I don't think mm. you'd see 
that much of a drop-off. So like I say, if I'm Lampard, I'm saying, hang on, instead of Averts for 80 million, can we go and get, you know, Koulibaly or whoever? Just throwing mm. a name out there. Mm. I see what you're saying there, but in all fairness to me, that says, like, put it this way, if Chelsea finish top four this season, I don't think he gets the sack. I, I really don't. And I almost think it's it's not a buy. Last year was a buy, and last year was a test. However, we answered we answered that question, finished in the top four, and very respectable given our situation. But if we do it again this year, go a bit further in Europe, and let's say win a cup, well, even if we don't win a cup, I think he's still fine. Because then next year you get your centre back, and I know for a fact Abramovich isn't expecting the title this year. Not a chance. You can't you can't throw three hundred million at one thing. It's very rare that that happens, and then it all clicks straight away. No, it's not. I mean, Jim, I'll ask you a question. Is is there another manager in potentially world football that could have spent three hundred million and not be expected to challenge for the title? Because I don't really know one, to be honest, or at least challenge. I don't think there's anybody who, you know, fought five games into the season just spent three hundred million. You can put, like even the media would agree top four's par. If I think I've seen a tweet saying if. Um... If Frank Lampard was um, some foreign manager we've not really been accustomed to in the Premier League, we'd be hearing reports of should they bring in Sam Allardyce to um, strengthen the defending. I think he does get away with a lot of stuff, Frank Lampard. I think that is very first say. I think if you just look at the start of this season alone, um, if you compare, I'm going to compare Chelsea and United, it's very similar situations with the ex-players, not very experienced managers. Um, they've had like one or two previous jobs before. And... and the way Solskjaer was treated, um, when he loses a game or a few games or when his team doesn't perform, and the way Lampard does, he's, he's, he's very different. You, you've got to admit it is. And I would actually could be very surprised if Lampard lasts the season because I, I think Abramovich is the type of chairman to um, throw 300 million at a manager and say, this, you've got to win a title now. or you've, that, That's got to be the aim. The, um, the spending has been very ambitious. But just aiming for a top four, especially in the current climate, we'll get on to how the tyre race might be a bit more blown open now. This is the season, really. Over the last three seasons, City and um, Liverpool have dominated it. But this is what seems like the season a team like Chelsea, like United, anyone else, Spurs, Arsenal, should be looking at thinking, we should maybe make a run for this one now. And I personally don't think Chelsea will do it with Lampard. I think he's naive as a manager. I don't think he's tactically strong enough. Um, to manage such a team where they're so top-heavy. Um, it's going to be hard to fit them all in, wonderful players, but just watching them, the system's not its not built yet. And um, Lampard actually said something which would worry me as a Chelsea fan at the end of that game. He said we should be beating teams like Southampton, almost as if he's coming from the experience, and which he is, of a player. When, when Chelsea used to play Southampton when Lampard was in the midfield, they'd beat him easily because Chelsea dominated teams like Southampton. But Lampard as a manager has never beaten Southampton. And Harsen Hootel is a far better manager than, than Lampard is. He just is. He's, he's more experienced. He's done more. Um, I think tactically he's better. And I think Lampard's... I think that, to me, screams a bit naivety of Lampard thinking we should just go out there and beat Southampton. But they're a good side. And they deserve that draw. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Southampton were good value yesterday. But I don't think it was in terms of oh, this is Southampton and we should always win it. I, th- I think that is, if we're wanting to be where we want to be, 
and that is at the top of the league. We have to beat these types of teams at home. City have to beat Southampton at home. Man United have to beat Southampton at home. If they want to go for the title, it has to happen. And if you're not going in with that mentality, then what is the point? You have to beat so-called, and all due respect to Southampton, the, the lesser shitter teams. You have to. If you want to win titles and be up there with City and Liverpool, you have to. But just the last thing on Chelsea, I think, I think that Lampard... I don't think his aim is top four. Don't get me wrong. I think his aim is to very much be a contender and bridge that gap between, obviously, the elite City and Liverpool, who have been great over the past two seasons. They've been a class above everybody. And it's forced us to spend this type of money. And he, like Jim said, he's, he's learning on the go. It is a bit of a strange situation. Nobody's really had this type of power and spending this type of money with this amount of experience he's he's got next to none he's managed two full seasons at the top level and although Abramovich does love him like Jim said he could go he is a shotgun a shotgun owner could very much happen but it all be dependent on where they finish but sticking with teams we're not sure where they might finish now big injury to a key player it was unfortunate Jim that Virgil van Dijk is set to go under the knife He's got to have knee surgery due to that ridiculous challenge from Jordan Pickford. Yeah, um, it's, it's a massive loss to Liverpool. It's a massive loss to the league. Um, the implications of it will be... Um, I, we, I can't even begin to think what's going to happen now in the season. I think Liverpool were the team that, when I look at them top teams, they have the least problems. They don't really have a big problem, I'd say. Um, Alisson was out for a few weeks, but the now Van Dijk is looking like he's done his he's done his ACL and he's looking like he might be out for the season. Um, the title race for me is blown wide open because um, he is the player that Liverpool de- depend on the most. If they could pick one player to get injured, injured, he would be the last player, even above Salah and Mane and Allison and Fabinho, because of the implications of it. They don't have um, me and Stan have spoke about it before the injury, um, saying they should have signed a centre back. Um, Past Van Dijk, you're looking at Matip Gomez and Fabinho. Fabinho's he's good there, but he's, ex- he's, in, he's inexperienced. And it's very similar to the City situation last season when we lost Laporte. Fernandinho was one of the Europe's best defensive midfielders. And he was adequate when he could fill in at centre-back. But you lose him in defensive midfield. No matter how good he is at centre-back, you lose that in centre midfield. And Liverpool are now going to come up with a way of playing. Maybe they'll play more conservative and play two holders like Henderson next to Thiago and try and keep the ball a bit more than they usually do. Because if they play the, sim- the, the way they have been playing, without Van Dijk helping Gomez, and we've seen how Gomez is without Virgil next to him, um, then, yeah, Liverpool could continue to concede goals at an alarming rate. And that's how they started this season. Um, Stan, I'm not even talking about the, the challenge. <laughs> um, I'm just talking about Van Dijk's injury, but Stan, what did you make of the challenge? It is madness that um, VAR have missed it. Yeah, it's just a yeah, horrendous tackle, really, let's be honest. Even even the most biased of Everton fan can't really say that it wasn't, you know, anything but just a fucking joke of a tackle. His knee height, um, it's the scissors, it's two footed. It's literally if you could create the worst challenge that you could possibly make from a sliding tackle in football, that'd probably be up there. And you can see Van Dyke's leg, you know, almost bend the wrong way and obviously he hobbles off, is is a tough guy, whatever. Um, I saw a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's not his ACL because he walked off 
Um, but you know, we have, we've I remember seeing Ibra walk off after he did his, and he was out for a year. So it didn't look good as soon as he went off because you know we know how, how tough he is. But yeah, that tackle for, for VAR for it not to be a red card, I understand he was offside. Um, so I don't know the ins and outs on whether they could give a penalty, but they could give a red card for that. Just because he was offside doesn't mean that they can't punish. You know, a challenge like that. That's almost like saying. Well, if somebody stood offside, you can go over and jaw him and not lap him because, you know, he's offside. It doesn't matter. It's still a red card tackle, you know, whether he's offside or not. And that would have changed the game. You know, it probably wouldn't have ended up being 2-2 if Pickford sent off half an hour in or however long in it was. I don't even think it was half an hour in. So, it was four minutes. Decision. Another one. Was it four minutes? Christ. Another ridiculous decision by, you know, by VAR or whoever made the decision. I don't even know. Uh, what the process was, if, if I'm if I'm completely honest, if anybody does, yeah, VAR, the um, <laughs> the big talking point of this one. Um, this might sound a bit of a weird question, but with VAR, would you rather at this point the way it's getting, um, and we'll get to the Mane decision at the end, would you rather the best referee be on the pitch, or the best referee be in Stockley Park? Because who's making these decisions? Yeah, I mean. Just reminded me of, of something that happened, obviously, last season with, I don't know if you guys remember, the Giovanni Lacelso incident where he, stand, he stood on Aspilicueta. It was a really, really bad tackle. They went to the VAR and they genuinely just said it was a mistake. But that that in particular game, sorry, that particular game, Michael Oliver was the ref, refed over 250 Premier League matches and the guy in VAR had refed less than 30. And he didn't tell Michael Oliver to go and have a look at the monitor. So, going back to Jim's point there, you, you would going off that logic, I would sooner see Michael Oliver in the VAR ref 250 league matches, whilst um, Joe Bloggs is getting his ref experience on the pitch, and Michael Oliver's in his ear saying, "You know what? You might want to go and have a look at the monitor there," using his experience for 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 the better, using his experience for the better, and just basically getting the young lad out of the shit rather than this young lad not really having the confidence to say to Michael Oliver, like we said, experienced Premier League referee, and saying you should probably go and check that because he's not got the balls to do and say it. Yeah, it's almost like the um, whoever the referee is or the guy is at Stockley Park during most games nowadays, they're just scared of overruling the ref on the pitch. And yeah. maybe it should be that the more senior ref should be in Stockley Park so then he can advise the other ref and tell him, no, listen, you need to look at this. Um, I think that Mane one was, was it the closest VAR offside decision you've seen since VAR came in, Stan? Because so I've, I've looked at that so many times and I can't see it still. Well, I, I've I've spoken to Liverpool and Everton fans at work and they don't even know what part of his body was actually offside. Some were saying it was his ankle and some said it was his shoulder. So I suppose that sums it up completely when you zoom in on it and how many times have we seen that image flying around Twitter and you still don't know what part of his body is offside, but it's, it's a computer system. It's difficult. How do you change it? Do you change it to daylight? And if in that case, you know, what is daylight? Do you do what Neville said? And as long as a part of your body's level with the defender, you can almost have your whole body on the other side, as long as you know, your legs trailing back. Um, I hope that makes sense to, uh, to the listeners, but yeah, it's, um, it's crazy, but it's difficult. It's like I did tweet saying it's difficult to moan. Obviously, it fucking hurts. It pisses you off, but it's difficult to moan about it because 
that would have been the decision for anybody. How many times? I know it's probably the closest, but how many times have we seen offsides given for you know ridiculous things? Maybe you know a stage before you know the cross even happened for the goal. So it's different. It's, it's one that you can't really review because, like I say, how do you review it? Is it do you give a certain amount of you know I don't know ten centimeters gap, and if it's within that range, you, you get let off with it, or is it? Or did they change the rule totally? I don't. I don't know. I don't it's know. Kill, how it's even killing the game, though, isn't it? Because um, ultimately, we're sat here talking about how VAR have missed the Pickford challenge, and this madness, like two millimeter offside picture that no one came to see, and why it wasn't given to goal when really it was a Merseyside derby for once. I look at this game; and it's so boring, and Liverpool win it every single season. I know. For once, yeah. it was a really good game, wasn't it? Yeah, lad. I was watching it. I was watching it with Robbie. And obviously it was the early kickoff and we was watching it and a challenge went in. I think it was on Hammers straight away. And I remember going to him, I was going, fucking hell, yeah, bit of that. That was Van, that was Van Dyke, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironic. But yeah. he went in hard on, on Hammers, sorry. And it just got me thinking, fucking hell, it's not the derby of love anymore. They actually do fucking hate each other a bit. Now they've got some players who know what it's like to fucking win. I'll tell you who was yeah. brilliant. Sorry, just before we move on. Alan was great in this fucking game. Rotated fouls all match and literally only got booked in the 85th minute. He was so good in this game. He was knackered Jim's dad when he got in, but uh, he had a good yeah, raid off. And, uh, Jim gave him a few digestives and that, get those blood sugar levels back up. Did he have some Epsom salts in there as well, Jim? Yeah, rubbed a bit of Vic on his back and on his, on his chest, just sought him out before bedtime. And he, he was, he was good. He, it'd be good to go next week. Did you Again. give him the Patrick Vieira treatment right right on that chest? I just, give him, I just give him the magic spray. I mean, I've learned from Sunday League and so Stan, like, if you just get a, a bottle of water and spray it, if mm-hmm. that can fix an ACL, maybe they should have done that to Van Dyke. Magic mm-hmm. sponge, right? Well, they don't, have, they don't have water in Merseyside. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. We love you. We don't. Well, they might need... They might Literally, need the river Mersey. They might <laughs> yeah. need some... Uh, they might need some holy water with the way that, you know, the press are going on about that Van Dyke injury anyway. Uh, and I think oh. Danny written out of Virgil's eulogy today. So uh, he is the first person to ever get a long-term injury. Yeah, We uh, won't go into that mm. too much, but we, we're hearing reports that Jordan Pickford now has to play centre-back for Liverpool all season. Yeah. I don't know how true this is. Anything to get him out of Everton's net, it would seem, by Carlo. I, well, I, heard, I heard Boris has put him in quarantine, so Van Dijk's fit again. Well, that's allegedly, but could be, and I'll, I'll say it slowly, Matip, the Messiah. I'll, maybe, maybe, maybe if Matip can stay fit for two minutes, he can play consistently for Liverpool. But again, a weird game this stand, sorry, before, sorry, as we move on. United scored four goals against Newcastle, and I actually turned this off after one Bissaka scored. Because I thought, oh, that's that. <laughs> Don't need to watch anymore. And then I seen on someone's Instagram story that it was 4-1. I was going. I was trying to think who scored, and I saw that Marcus Rashford scored at the end. It was Doctor Ra- Doctor uh, Marcus Rashford MBA actually cook? Uh, say his full title, please. Oh, sorry. Is he a doctor in thugonomics? Him and John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Important win for United. Important win for Solskjaer. Obviously, coming back off that six-one, and and you know the fixtures that we've got coming up. Um, our next four, I think maybe by the time this is released, uh, I think is this coming out tomorrow. Sorry, Tuesday. Just this. this is coming out Tuesday, so our next four fixtures are PSG, Chelsea, Leipzig and Arsenal. So United, you know, really, really needed to win this game. 
a lot of pressure on Solskjaer, but you know, as, as Jim said, off cam, when is it was when is there ever not pressure on Solskjaer? But there was a lot. I saw people maybe calling for his head if he didn't, you know, win this one, especially like I say with the with the runner games coming up. But yeah, it was um, wasn't the best start with Luke Shaw uh, coming straight off his boot. I won't say too much. I said probably a little bit too much the other week. So uh, yeah, it spooned in off his foot. Uh, De Gea probably could have done better. Uh, although he did meet an, an absolutely vintage David De Gea save from behind him on uh, on Wilson after some lovely play by ASM, who uh, I do think might be worth a punt for a team. But then again, with him being a Premier League player, he probably cost you hundred million. Um, but yeah, we scored three goals in the last ten minutes. Pogba and uh, Van der Beek came on. Uh, we scored a lovely team goal, and like you say, uh, Wambasaka scored. Cup turned it off, and then we scored again. So maybe Cup should turn United off more often after we score. We might make it. Yeah. Fun. Good, good win for um, Solskjaer answering the six one, like you say. Um, just want to touch on Newcastle. That oh, Bruce isn't the most optimistic and um, most creative managers, let's say. Uh, put it lightly, I think. What? But he's got some. He's got. He's got some <laughs> players um, like ASM. You mentioned um, Armoron, very tricky player. Ryan Fraser. He's done it before in the Premier League. Yeah. They shouldn't they be playing a bit better, like a bit more. Bit more out there because last season the player of the season was a Dubravka. Yeah, this keeper. season it's Cardalo. I mean, are they just going to be one of these teams now? And there's just no optimism to him, and it's just joyless to watch him. I mean, United are vulnerable definitely at the moment, and def- I mean, feel a bit better now. But before the game, I was speaking to United fans, and most of us were saying we should go there with a back five, not because of what Newcastle had, but that is the state of mind that the fans were in. It was, you know. I can't remember how many chances you said, Jim, that we conceded in our first three games, but it was something ridiculous. Was it in the 70s or something uh, like that um, in our first few games? So United fans were thinking, you know, get five, get five in there, get two in front and, you know, maybe try and, and you know, be defensively solid, have, have a base to build on. So, yeah, if Bruce had anything about him, really, he would have gone at us because United were, you know, wounded animals and he could have gone in for the kill with... Those players, like you say, you could have started most of them, really. And there's definitely a way you can get, you know, maybe Fraser and uh, ASM on the wings and, and Almer on behind behind Wilson, you know. And if they went at United, yeah. um, they caused us problems anyway. So if they were a little bit more positive, then it could have been yeah. a different result. Yeah, that's, that's why ultimately I will. I think that Newcastle fans are always going to be um, bruised out almost because, and I think they've always got a right to be. I mean, he's going to get. Um, stuck up for in the press and he does get results fair play to him I think he had a good season last year but I mean there's an underrated aspect of football and that's enjoying watching your team it's not yeah. you can't you don't well, what was the joy as a Newcastle fan to watch your keeper make 20 saves a week when you've got players like especially when you've got players like St Maximan and things that you can do and Armouron and Fraser and everybody else so it's like Everton like they're really fun to watch now I'm not saying Newcastle are going to play more expansive football and start getting better results. They, they might be even worse, but if they're more fun to watch, for me, if I was a fan, I'd take it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that Bruce is trying to do the right thing. Like Jim saying, Stan as well, Set Maximan is a good player. Just signed a new six-year contract a year after signing for him. So that says it all. They are trying to keep exactly. hold of the, the big players. I, I, personally, I do think he is too good for them. But at this moment in time, he is raw. He's a very raw player who who, who maybe holds on to the ball a bit too long, but still does great things when he's got the ball and he's always worth that risk. But 
if you want to get the best out of players like that, Steve Bruce is not the manager that's going to take you to that next level. I mean, Newcastle, we've said it many times on the podcast, one city team, they do have money. They give Rafa Benitez the big bucks when he was in, in the Prem. If they could attract an Ancelotti-level manager and actually be backed the way Everton have backed and bought the right players, the sky's the limit for a club like that, and it's done. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Newcastle are one of the biggest clubs in the country. I mean, you look at the stadium, you look at the support, and you look at the players that they've had in the past. Um, 100%, Newcastle could attract somebody of Ancelotti's level, but you know, I do empathise with them that they have got a shithouse uh, owner who doesn't really give too much of a shit to push them to the places that I think Newcastle should be. Newcastle shouldn't be flirting with relegation every season. It just That, that just shouldn't be the case for a club of their size and their, you know, just their capability. I mean, they could, if, if, they got, if they got a takeover, they could absolutely fly through it. Like I say, with Everton, you know, some of the signings they're doing, you're seeing exactly what happens when you've got owners that want to, you know, push the club forward and, uh, you know, see them challenge for things. So, yeah, I do feel sorry for Newcastle. But, yeah, United were a wounded animal. If, had they had gone for us, it could have really been a different result. But important for United to win that one with our, with our run of games coming up. Okay, listeners, we have got the infamous bet of the week for you. And I know we've not been winning the past few weeks. Get off our back. Stop emailing Stan. His Gmail's full and he's had enough of you. You're moaning shit. So I'm going to finally... Yeah, all to spam. But I'm going to give you the bet of the week this week. And we've got Man City away at West Ham. We've got Man United, Chelsea, both teams to score. We've got Crystal Palace away at Fulham, and we've got Liverpool to nil at home to Sheffield United. So just to recap, we've got City away at West Ham, Palace away at Fulham, Chelsea, Man United, both teams to score, and Liverpool to nil at home to Sheffield United. And if anyone's got some sense, Dan, what they got to do with that? Not put Liverpool to nil and... No, I mean, shove it up your hackers. I saw the odds, all right? Hello and welcome back to That's The Way, The Cookie Crumbles. And yes, it is time for everybody's favourite game. It is Who Am I? And I am today's host, so I will get straight into it. Everybody knows how to play this game now. It's Jim versus Cook. And like I say, straight into it. So here we go. Fact number one. A lot of information here. I was born in 1980. Rocket Santa Cruz. Well done. No. Oh. <laughs> So ah, close. <laughs> that would have beaten my Adiga Johnson if, if, that was, if, if it was Rocky. But it's First not. player that came to my mind. Don't know Ledley why. King. He just did. Ledley King. It isn't. Two very good guesses, though. I bet, I bet they are both probably around uh, 40. So there we go. Opposite ends of the second, pitch. Second fact for four points. I joined Ajax in 1999, forming an exciting crop of young players, along with Ibrahimovic, Maxwell and Wesley Schneider. I just bought Steve Schneider. That's not in it. I was going to say Maxwell. Who <laughs> um, um, played for them? Ajax '99. I don't know. Van Bronckhorst. Don't think he played for Ajax, did he? I'll go Seedorf. I think he was Feyenoord. Van Bronckhorst. He it? managed them anyway. Seedorf, no. Ah. Neither of those. So, fact number three. Despite playing in the Eredivisie, I made my name in the Serie A throughout the noughties. 
I joined Roma in 2003 at the age of 22. Oh, they always go from Holland to Italy, don't they? All these good players from the 90s. Mm. That's why I've noticed about who am I when Stan hosts. Can't because of the food. <laughs> um, I don't know who played for Roma. Loudrup. I'll have both of them. No, not loud at all. <laughs> both, yeah. Michael and Brian, no. Neither of them. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Roma. I don't know if you play for Ajax, but I'll say Cafu, because I know he played for Roma. Ooh, very good guess. Very good guess. But no. Oh. So, fourth fact for two points. This might open it up. So... Keep your ears in, and that's for Jim and Cook, and it's for all the listeners at home. If you haven't got it already, if you have, well done. So here we go. Fact number four for two points. I was part of Jose Mourinho's 2010 Inter Milan treble winning side, often deployed at left back. Kivu. Christian Kivu. Jimmy's With his tra- fucking skullcap. Great in there. Well, Cook, the last, the last fact was... I was notorious for my fearlessness, fracturing my skull and cheekbones on different occasions. I was mm. forced to wear protective headgear from 2010 onwards. Well, Christian, maybe it, you should be playing yeah. scrum, scrum half, you little fuck. <laughs> Christian Kivu. <laughs> I didn't did know he played for Ajax or Roma, but I think I know that team off by that inter team that Mourinho had. So. That from all the Sparkle Champions League uh, final. Yeah, that we do. It was yeah. a lovely side. Melito brought back. Was Christian? I didn't know Christian Kivu played for Ajax. I was going to do something about him leaving Romania for Amsterdam, but I thought he might. Too obvious. Yeah. I was going to put it, and I was hoping that Cook might say Adrian Mutu. Uh, but there we go. We'll move on anyway to player two. Fact number one. I was born in France, and I am 43 years old. Lillian Chiram. Go guess again. You, you're doing very well with your guesses. Well, it's not Thanks. Who was that guy? Cute you, footballers. Who was that guy playing centre back for Chelsea Cook? Guess how you. Now the other one. Leboeuf. Frank Now the other one. Would yeah. <laughs> Could you be less vague? Beans like B or something. Bobby Haro. That's my guess anyway. Bobby Haro. <laughs> Celestine. <laughs> it's not Bobby Haro. Just actively <laughs> helping Jimmy to beat me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was it. Bobby Haro. <laughs> it's not Baviaro, no. Stop trying to get me on your side. It's not Tarama. I'm not a Sith. Baviaro. No. It's not Frank LeBeuf or Marcel Desailly either. I'll give you them two as well. Thank All right. You. Second fact is I won the African Player of the Year in 2007. Oh, African Player of the Year. I thought he was born in France. Mm. There's one. That's a curveball. If I've ever seen one, Cook. Mm. 2007. His. Eto. No. We've already had no, him, haven't we? too early, wasn't it? Have we? Oh, yeah, we have. <laughs> hmm. It's not Sammy Eto'o. I'll say... Hmm. Trying to hmm. trying to go somewhere, trying to think. 2007 Brian Africans. Banks. I've got a feeling Ivory Coast was rife at that point. So I'll say... Rife with what? No comment. <laughs> no, no comment. <laughs> uh, rife with uh, Didier Zakora, because that's my guess. <laughs> Remember him? No, it's not yeah. him. It's not him. It's not him. 
The next fact. Anything to get out of that, that last fucker. So this next one for people listening, if you haven't already got it already, in which case I'm very impressed, and I'm sure Jim and Cook will also be. This might open up the door a little bit because it is his, well, his main career path. So here we go. I played for West Ham and Spurs in the Premier League before leaving to join Sevilla in 2005. Not the Amers. West Ham and Spurs. Then there'll be a few light bulb moments for the listeners at home. Wait, say that again. So, I played for West Ham and Spurs before leaving the Premier League to join Sevilla in 2005. I don't know his name. Oh, that, that's, oh, that's, part, that's the game. Yeah, but I know who he is. Played up front, didn't he? No comment. He did. You know what his name? Doing? Jamie, you're passing. Yeah, you might but have I know a light bulb on the on. During my time at Sevilla, I refused to wear a betting sponsor on my top, and during a goal celebration, I lifted my top to reveal the word Palestine. Freddie Canute! Could... <sighs> that's his name. Freddie Canute. There we go. There we go. Cook gets it. Two points each. Big K, baby. Just before you leave us, we've got to tell you where you can find us on our social media. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, at CookiePodcast1. That's at CookiePodcast, followed by the number one. We're now on YouTube, Spotify, Acast, and Apple Podcasts. So just search into wherever you get your pods. That's the way the cookie crumbles. It's been episode 81. And that has been the way the cookie crumbles. Seven.